<laughs> Welcome to the Anglers. This is the first podcast of many, but uh, we'll give you a quick rundown of the things we want to uh, achieve. And uh, I'll introduce myself. I'm Spider Everett, and joining me each and every podcast is, of course, the great man, Herb. Spider, how are you, mate? <laughs> good, good. Hey, Herb, what are we going to be covering off? A lot of things, everything to do with fishing, obviously, angling, commercial, you know, anglers. We're the anglers. <laughs> We're going to talk fishing. You love fishing, don't you? I love it. It's something I do. I, I'm passionate about it. I'm passionate about all things fishing, eating fish, rest, everything. I just love it. I love being on the water. When was just, uh, yeah, when was the first time you ever went fishing? What got you so involved? Because, you know, over the, you know, I'll talk about my fishing experience, but I am, I'm a try-hard angler. Yeah, you're, you're a jet, but what, what got you into it? Um, my old man was a fisherman since he was a young bloke, you know, grew up on a river and catching fish back in the day. And ever since I can remember, he had a boat and that was the best days of my life when he'd get that thing ready and we'd go out in the boat for the day. It was awesome. It was something you never forget. And not everything turns out the way you expect it to? Not all the time, no. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it it was something I'll never forget. And, uh, as I've grown older, I've got my own boats and, uh, yeah, I just love being on the water. I love feeding the family or friends with uh, fresh-caught seafood. And, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about a lot of things, seafood and Absolutely. fishing and, and, you know. We'll give, a, we'll give people uh, tips on things to do and not to do. Probably not the best people to be giving tips out, Spider, but we'll do our best, eh? <laughs> and we want to hear, too, from uh, you know all the uh, anglers out there about their stories, their tips. If they've got tips for people out there, if they've got stories about, you know, my best entertainment, I think, is an afternoon at a boat ramp. Definitely. I have many a boat ramp bullying sessions and uh, I don't bully people, but I love to see the different ways people pull in and retrieve boats. It is and it's something everybody's got to experience in their life. Absolutely. Well, today's show is going to be a cracker. Uh, we've got, uh, we're actually going to go overseas into Canada and find out what their fishing is like. And I'm very excited about this, Spider, because, uh, yeah, where we're going to go over and talk to Ken... This is world-class fishing, and you would think in the cold you, you wouldn't want to do it. You know, everyone thinks Great Barrier Reef and all this, but this is going to be an exceptional talk, so make sure you listen into that. Yeah. Also, we'll have a tip, cooking segment, cook what you catch, we're going to call it, plus probably a couple of uh, funny stories as well as well, we get we'll through get a, it. We'll get a few of them. <laughs> but we want to uh, start off. Herb, you only just recently went to South Australia. You haven't spent a lot of time down there, but you went down there for the... Uh, for the fun of going for some King George Whiting. Yes, King George Whiting. Let's, wow, what a fish. Like Whiting are all around Australia. King George are the biggest by far. These things can grow up to 60 centimetres, probably bigger. I don't know. I didn't catch any that big, but what a fish. Easy to catch. Now, have you caught them? Have you chased them before, or this was your first time nah, really going after them? No, nah, this was my first time. And I had a bloke down there that was a local who took me out in his boat and. I didn't really know what to expect. It's totally different to where I'm from, catching whiting. Uh, we target summer whiting, but these King George, they grow bigger. We're using light gear. We're fishing 10 metres of water. But um, the baits, like pippies. We're using p- frozen pippies, and they're 25 bucks a kilo down there. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you get them for free in certain <laughs> yeah. parts of Australia. Yeah, I know. Watch your bag limits. Uh, but, no, yeah, just using a small Patton Oscar rig with a, a pippy on the on a little, I don't know, a little long shank red hook. That's all I can say. I bought a packet of them. It was easy. What a trip out. It was an experience I've never had before. Because they, they catch the King George whiting around the southern parts of Australia. That's so correct. So WA, South Australia, Victoria. Victoria. 
That's yep. correct. That's correct. And there's different bag limits, size limits, and closures in them states. So it's just buy you to check up on your latest gaps or whatever your government what to find out all yeah, this. Yep. We're in South Australia, obviously, where 32 centimetres is the legal limit. Anything over that, 10 per person, no more than 30 per boat if you've got more than three on board. Which 10 King George Whiting's a pretty big feat. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, I learned a lot about catching them and, and you well, know. Well, what's the, what's the, what did they tell you? This is how, if you go going for King George Whiting, this is the setup you kind of need. Yeah, so, like I said, it's a lot different. So I went to the tackle shop. I went out one day, seen how, how Nath did it. Uh, you can buy the rigs pre-made, which makes it so easy. Slip on, slip off. And with down there, you get a lot of toadfish, so they bite off your hooks. So you can slip a new one on, that's done and dusted. Baits, obviously pippies and bits of squid. People can use other sorts of stuff. But basically, in between the weed and kelp beds where the sandy patches are is where these little buggers, you know, they hide. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And we were fishing, uh, the first spot was a bit deeper, so about 10 metres deep. You couldn't see the bottom. But the activity around that, we had gar coming up to the boat. It was all actions. And we were getting, you know, some good whiting. We got about nine. We got a good feed. Yeah. What'd you do? What'd you, did you cook it up? Yeah. So another thing I learned what they do down there, scaling bags. So we dumped these things in the scaling bag. Yeah. Once they're right, they're on ice. We didn't bleed them. We didn't do anything. We just chucked them in the bag and then we drove off flat out. Had this thing spinning around out the back in the what, wash. What, the fish in there? Yeah. Like in a little washing machine? Yeah, in a washing machine. Pretty much. And then when you bring it in, they're all scaled and clean. Have you ever done that before? Never. Never in my life. I've, I've never seen it. I, I've heard about it, but I've never really done it. And to see them come in, they're all clean. You lay them back on ice because they like to eat the skin down there. And, and once I tried it, it, it was magnificent. And and I just did them in a bit of flour, salt yep. and pepper, in a little bit of butter and a bit of oil. Just keep it simple, stupid, you know, yep. like... One thing with seafood, you don't want to muck it up too much. And it was absolutely magnificent. I would definitely go, eating quality's got to be a five. Well, that's yum. Is it? Yeah, that's yum. Top of the walls. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. You know how much it is a kilo down there? No. 120 bucks a kilo? What? Yeah. Went in the supermarket. $120 a kilo, King George Whiting. Wow. I Well, it's interesting because I've just got an email. Uh, I got it during the week and it's uh, from... Uh, Good fish, it's called. And uh, they, they want to back off the flake because, you know, in Victoria and uh, South Australia, all their. It's all flake, isn't it? Yeah, it's all shark. Mm. And they're saying they want to back off that and actually use whiting. I reckon this is something we should be embracing in Australia. We should be eating all our own seafood. You can buy bassa from overseas cheaper than you can buy King George whiting. And down there is prevalent. You could eat it in a fish shop. How good would that be? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they're saying because it is one of the best uh, eating fish. Beautiful eating fish. So, so tender and delicate. So would you target it again? Yes, definitely. I can't wait to get back down there to do a bit of King George White and fishing. I think winter time's a bit better. Yep. We're in the summer, obviously. They're not as thick and they weren't as big. We were getting them up around 34, 35 centimetres, which is a good feed on a whiting. But yep. um, definitely something, if you're travelling around Australia to pull in and do, you could do it in a car top of tinny. That's the thing that we've got to embrace about this sort of stuff. You don't need a big boat to do it. You don't need to go far offshore. We're in the Spencer Gulf down off Muta Bay. It can get pretty rough. So if you're travelling around, you've got a car top tinny, check your weather. You don't need much to go out and do it. Pretty simple, light gear. I was using a 2,000-size reel with a 10-pound line, and, and they put up a good fight. So basic. Keep it simple, stupid. Go out, catch a feed, take a bit of ice, and take a scaling bag. Yeah, I'm, I'm buying one. There we go. All right, King George Whiting. Well. 
I'm really excited about this. Me too. I've never chatted to anybody really around the world where I would rather be right now. I've never fished out of Australia, Spider. Well, we are going over to Canada, North Seal River Lodge. Now, you've done a bit of research on this, Herb, and you're pretty excited. This place looks amazing. I mean, they seaplane you into lakes that are hardly fished where you catch giant pike, giant lake trout, arctic grayling and walleyes. These things are hitting, and these are big fish. These are well over a metre, these pike, and they're catching them in seven well, foot of water. Let's hear it from the boss himself. Let's do it. Ken Gangler, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Yeah, good. Now, Ken, thank you very much for joining us. We are very excited. Herb is our number one Australian fisherman. But Gangler, what is it? Where are you situated? And uh, you take some extreme fishing to us. Well, where we're at is the, the North Seal River area. is It's, it's 700 miles north of the U.S.-Canadian border uh, in northern Manitoba, which would be in centrally, above the central United States, um, above Minnesota and North Dakota, where they join. So then you go straight up, and it's to the west of Hudson Bay. We're actually only 200 miles away from Churchill, which a lot of people may be aware of for the polar bears. You see those in National Geographic all the time. It's well known for polar bears. But wow, yeah. the area we're in, it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's one of the most remote areas in North America. It's over 200 miles from the closest road. Um, you know, it's just an unbelievable, pristine area. And it's a really cool area because it's a, it's a, it's not one big lake, although many people would consider it to be a big lake. I mean, our, when I say big lake, I'm, I'm talking like 50, 60, hundred miles. Our, most of our lakes are, would be 15 to 25 miles long, which is still a really big lake. Um, but we have so many of them, you know, we have 12 river systems and we have over, I think right now there's 100 lakes in the area, but we have boats in 45 of them. So, I mean, it's just a really diverse, really cool watershed. And and one thing I love about this, Ken, this isn't just a fly-in fishing destination. You also seaplane your uh, fishermen out to these separate lakes that have never been fished to catch such fishes mm -hmm. like giant pike, giant lake trout, arctic grayling and walleyes. And these fish have never seen a lure before. I mean, this is a fisherman's dream, the end of the rainbow stuff. Yeah, with the concept behind it was to a lot of what happens is a lot of lodges get built up, and this is, you know, I fish, uh, I fish around a lot of other places too. I'm an avid fly fisherman, avid fisherman, but you know what happens is, you know, when you get a lodge established, it'll kind of basically it'll work and pressure its area. When we went into this from day one, this was the third lodge we had owned, and so we really wanted to do it right. And when we went in there, we the idea was to develop all these lakes right away and what that did was it just spreads the pressure out so i mean i have lakes that are 10 miles long that wow. might get fished two three days a year you know wow. and we're only open for like three and a half months no seriously like yeah. i mean it i i remember one time we had a one of our guests fishing a great lake that was um and it's about 10 miles long it's got a good river system running through it just just a great lake and he fished it in June, and then he came back at the end of July with his dad, and he was he was the next guy to fish it again. Wow. No one else had been there in between. How how can people get involved? How do people get in contact with you? How do you get a chance to be able to go and ex experience such uh, dream fishing? Well, our website is ganglers.com. It's pretty easy to, to remember. So ganglers.com. 
and you can go on there and then you can see what we have. And we have, of course, the main lodge, which is the five-star deluxe experience where we fly to the different lakes. But we also have uh, something that's very popular, our outpost camps, which are very nice, very modern. And these are on other different bodies of water in the system. And they're all separated. And that's for the more do-it-yourself fisherman who still wants some amenities, but kind of likes to do it on his own and has the capability to guide himself. So we also offer that option, too. So, you know, they're, to me, they're two very distinct types of fishermen. And, you know, we, we, we offer the area to both of them with two, di- with di- two different, very, very different types of packages. That's fantastic, Ken. Like, and I, I've watched a bit, of, a bit of your footage on uh, YouTube, and, and it is unbelievable. And I've got to ask you, these shallow water pike, like I've seen these things, that, they're over a metre long, would I be correct, and in seven foot of water. What sort of techniques are you using for that? Is it plastics? Do you have to fly fish? Do you have to be Pacific? As well? No, no. First off, seven foot of water. Sometimes I see them in seven inches of water. Wow. <laughs> no, seriously. No, I mean, like, you're they, they're, they're very. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm telling you the truth. They're, they're very regulated by water, by water temperature. And early in the season, they're trying to soak up heat because mm-hmm. they have such a, a short window. So you'll see them in literally seven, 12 inches of water. And then they'll slowly work their way out. But when they're in these bays, I mean, like you said, it's, it's generally anywhere from two, three, four, five feet of water that you're seeing the fish in. And then as the weed beds come up later on, they'll move into the weed beds a little bit later in the summer, but it's, it's a, it's a lot of fun fishing as for techniques. I mean, we, you know, we do, um, I do a lot of fly fishing, but actually I would have to say 60% of my fishermen are conventional fishermen. And you know what today's baits people, it used to be people would just throw spoons and number five maps, which yeah. Still work great. They really do. They still work great. Like a big Johnson silver metal with a piece of kale on it, you know, Mr. Twister or something. But a lot of people have gotten into plastics now and really learned to work, particularly later in the summer with the weed beds, you know, work the, the lower part of the weed beds, the water columns. And that's where a lot of these big fish are just laying there. Just can, I, awesome. can I ask, Ken, uh, at your resort there, do you have beer? <laughs> what kind of question is that? Okay, okay, so I've I've worked it out. There is heaven. We've worked out where heaven is, Herb. This is going to be fantastic. I can't wait to get up there. It's taken us 40 years and we've found out God. Yeah. That's where I I want to go. I've got a great... I got a great selection of beer. I love beer. Oh, oh. A selection now, Spider. <laughs> Ken, Ken Gangler, thank you very much for joining us. Check out the website, Anglers with a G at the, the start. Ken, really yeah, exactly, fascinating, yeah. really interesting to chat to you. And trust me, one day we'll hope to actually see you in person. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Doesn't get any better than that, does it? Wow. You fly in, you're fishing for these massive fish. He's got a selection of beer. I tell you, I tell you, <laughs> uh, it's uh, it's one of those places, and you know, there's so many places like that around the world that uh, we want to try and tap into because Australia is very, very blessed, but there's a lot of other places too. I'd never heard of Gangler's Lodge, and to talk to him was it's enlightened me. You've promised me for eight years, and it's time for cook what you catch. It was about eight years ago, Spider, I rattled this recipe off on radio and it was probably about six years after that you finally asked me to cook it and I'd never done it. And I still, had, <laughs> I still hadn't to uh, not that long ago. Now, this is a recipe I made up in my head thinking that it would work. Uh, wasn't really sure. I'm not much of a cook. 
but I had a go at it, the stuffed squid, and I don't know why, but I called it the cordon bleu. <laughs> now, because I had a recent trip down to South Australia, yeah, we caught some squid. We caught some King George whiting. I said to everybody, I'm going to make the, the piece de resistance the cordon bleu. So I've got me squid. I cut up some whiting. I had some prawns. I thought, yep, I know what I've got to do. This is going to work. This was a mammoth effort in the making. So I cooked the squid, made a bechamel with garlic and some chives and all that. I put the fish into that, and I was going to stuff the squid tube with the bechamel cream sauce and the fish and the prawns. Yeah. Big job. Absolutely. You think, is this, this, is this stuff going to stay in there? Is it, you know, I've got to cook well, this squid yet. And did you, like, wooden skewers? Okay. I broke up some wooden skewers. I stuffed the squid up. I skewered the end up because obviously I'd clean the squid. Yeah. You know, we put it in the scaling bag too, which takes the skin off. It leaves the mandals on. So the squid looked like a whole stuffed fit. Well, it was a whole stuffed squid. So we stuffed her up. I wouldn't skew it up, and I held it upside down, and nothing came out. I thought, well, that's a start, Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> you, you, you worry about this going pear shaped in the middle of the oil. Oh, absolutely. So, With all, all eyes on you. All eyes on me. I had the whole family on me uh, that I was just meeting for the first time with uh, my new lovey there. And, and I thought, you know, how's this going to go down? You know, they, they're either going to think I'm a complete knob or I'm a real masterpiece <laughs> in the kitchen. So anyway, I've got this done. I've rolled the squid tube in uh, some salt and pepper flour, you know, a few, yeah. few bit of garlic salt, whatever you like, whatever your flavour is. I rolled it in a bit of salt and pepper flour. Then I did, because obviously I cut the mandals off, or I, uh, sorry, I cut the tentacles off, get rid of the eyeballs with the head and that, and I rolled them in the flour too. So I put it in the in this shallow oil and I'm cooking it away. I'm thinking, how long will I cook this for? I had no idea. I didn't know it was going to work. I didn't know it was going to come out and be raw. I didn't know if it was going to be chewy like an old boot. I thought, no, no, this will, this will work. I have a bit of confidence in myself. I got it in the pan. I'm cooking away. Nothing came out. I'm thinking, how good is this? Right then and there, I knew people's eyes were lighting up. Oh, yeah. This was coming. This, <laughs> Starting to lick the lips. Yeah, this, this was going to work. <laughs> Once we got the squid out, I had too much sauce. So I ladled the plate with the sauce, a few green herbs on top just to make the presence look good. Once the tentacles were cooked, I buttered it up so it looked like a whole squid. Oh. Then when you cut it open, then beautiful creamy garlic <laughs> bits of whiting and prawns oozed out of the guts of the squid. And the squid was tender, even though it was only cooked on one side. I've got to say, it's uh, I surprised myself. <laughs> It was to die. Everyone so mowed it down. It, it was worth the eight years of talking it up and never trying it. Yeah, eight years I pondered on that recipe, thinking I've got to do this one day. I finally did it. Do I want to do it again? Not really. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But it came out looking very lovely, and you'll be able to check it out on the Angler's Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, there's just a couple of short videos there and the pictures of it in the end, but it did look mighty fine. I was pretty surprised with myself. <laughs> and one day, Spider, like I said to you, Eight years ago, I will cook oh, it for you. It'll be a romantic night for us, I know that. <laughs> Couple of great northerns and a bit of stuffed squid on the table. Oh, we love it. It's nearly the end of the show. It's time for your story of the week. Crocodiles. Now, I, love, I love crocs. You know what? Me too. No, because they're the most intimidating animal in the world. Pretty because, smart. Oh, absolutely. Mm. But if you're in a boat 
and you're right near a croc, you're going, you know, croc watching or whatever up north. Yep. And as soon as they go into water, you can't see a ripple. No. Nah. So you have no idea nah. where they are. No. Nah. It's frightening. It is frightening. And there's some frightening things. People have done. Oh, I've got a frightening story. I have live you? to tell the tale. But. Well, before you do. Yeah. Years ago, I went to uh, King Ash Bay. Yeah. Northern Territory. Uh, Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Northern, Queensland, Northern Territory. Yeah, Northern Territory. Up near yeah. Borrelula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And old mate there, have a listen to his croc story and then we'll get yours. Yeah, do it. What about the crocs? Got to be careful here, crocodiles, brother. How safe am I to swim from here, from one side of the bank to the other? Well, mate, you might get away with it the first day. For a million bucks, would I be able to do it? You might be able to do it, but... I wouldn't be doing it three days in a row or four days in a row because the the crocodiles, you know, they work out your system what you're doing. They work. Oh, so they they kind of hunt their prey. Yeah, well, they they watch what you're doing, and if you do a regular pattern, they stalk you then. Oh, so we should start at a hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. Yep. No worries. Yeah, yeah. Second day, two hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. Third day, three hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll up the odds for you, mate, because I, I don't think after fourth day you'd be collected. <laughs> up to a million bucks. I don't Do we get to phone a friend? Well, you can phone a friend if you like, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be phoning an ambulance, mate. Uh, have, has anyone been taken in the waters by crocodiles, obviously? Oh, we've had crocs, people taken in by crocs. Uh, years ago when they used to shoot crocs here, they shot a lot of most of them out of here. And in town there, a few of the locals decided to swim the river and... And one guy got taken in town by a croc swimming the river. He thought he was leaning on a log, but he leaned on a croc. Oh. And he disappeared. So it's not unusual for to hear stories of people going. Oh, no way, mate. I have uh, was out crabbing there a couple of years ago, and I had three pots around an island down here in the, called the Davies Channel. Anyway, the first day I, I went there to check the first pot, and a croc swam out from the island. Anyway, I sort of didn't worry too much because I thought, oh, well, he's only come out to pick up the old bait I'm throwing yeah, out, yeah. you know, not, not really worried. And I went back the next day and uh, he came out again, the crocodile, but then he, I had three pots there. He went from one pot to the next pot to the next pot, following behind, following behind the boat. So they go pretty quick. Oh, yeah, he was just swimming on his normal place, just following yeah. me along, you know, because I'm only going steady along myself. Anyway, I sort of thought to myself, you know, he's, he's sort of getting a bit friendly, this crocodile. But I didn't worry too much. Anyway, the third day I've turned up to check me pots and I've let down to pick the first pot up and his head's popped up right beside the pot. I mean, I only jumped out the other side oh, of the boat. I would have been sitting in the corner of the boat, yeah, crying. Yeah, oh, mate, it was... Uh, Did you get the pot out? Yeah, I got the pot out and I moved the whole three of them. I moved them straight out of the area. Haven't been back there yet? I've been back since. And I had another bit of a story there, a bloody... Someone left an old pot there, and then I got all wrapped around me prop. Anyway, I had to get in the water. I knew this croc was lived there, and I had to get in Where the water. Where that croc was? Yeah, I had to get in the water to get this pot off me prop. It was all wrapped up and bloody like a friggin'. <laughs> no way, no. Yeah, anyway, mate, I, I, I was staying a few Hail Marys and everything that day. Don't worry about How it. How long were you in the water for? Oh, about an hour. It wasn't a very nice feeling, I'll tell you that now. I, I was sort of thinking things, you know, what am I going to say to my wife? I've, I've gone, she don't know what happened to me, and I'll... You think, oh, think crazy have, things, you know. I would have been still floating in the boat, waiting for somebody else I to come. I had no choice, no mate. I, I either checked. I wouldn't have been found probably the next day. I had no wool, no tucker with me, and 
So you've got to really respect them when you're in the Northern Territory. Oh, mate, oh, you've got to respect crocodiles. They are hunters, mate, proper hunters. They, they wait a while. That's oh. their name, wait a while. Oh, <laughs> what a story. <laughs> How is that? Oh, I was sitting there. I was petrified. <laughs> Mate, only in Australia, eh? I mean, I had to get in the water and, yeah, for an hour to untangle the rope off my prop. So, what unbelievable. So, yeah, when I was a young bloke, I had no idea about I knew about crocodiles, but didn't. A lot of people, Southerners, don't respect and know a lot about crocs. Once you get past Mackay, yeah. you've got to be very careful what you're doing, where you're going around that water's edge. Uh, like he said, they got a lot of time on their hands. They're willing to wait. Uh, my trip up to Cape York, first trip into croc country, because we drove for a couple of days. We pulled up to this river, and the bank was steep. And it was the water. The big tides up there. Yeah. Six-metre tides or whatever. You know, huge. So I'm laying up on this bed, and it looked like a big flood plain, but I was I was only young. I was, ah, nah, no way, a croc's crawling up that bank. Old mate who had been with his old man, uh, he comes down, he says, yeah, you'll be right, no crocs coming up there. <laughs> nah, not a problem, mate. As soon as he said that, he jumps into his car to go to sleep. His son jumps into his car to go to sleep. I've rolled my swag out on the ground thinking, yeah, he's right, you know. Yeah, no, so big, big, big. Oh, it's a big, steep bank. Yeah, big bank. Like, yeah, it was steep as. It was more than 45 degrees. It was six metres. So I thought, oh, sweet. Pretty comfy ground. Jumped in, went to bed. Woke up in the morning. And I could hear this noise. It sounded like water rippling, you know. I'm thinking, oh, I must be someone on the, on the river in a boat. No, the tide had come right up over the floodplain. was lapping at the back of me swag. <laughs> I looked out and go, geez, a croc could get up there pretty easy. So we didn't stay any more than that one night. Because we were on our way yeah. north. We were going fishing. As we got in the car, we were heading out past Cohen at that you stage. You would have looked like a big, big pork sausage for him. Oh, like a chico in a green paper bag, <laughs> Spider. Wrapped up in the swag, ready to go. It wasn't until we got out to Cohen listening to ABC radio that uh, a bloke was taken in his swag that night, not far from where we were on the uh, Kennedy River, I'm pretty sure it was. I could be wrong here because there's a lot of rivers up there. And his mother-in-law jumped on that croc's back and scared it off, and he lived to tell the tale. Really? Now, this wasn't far from <laughs> us, and it was the same night. So maybe that croc was busy with old mate, not trying to get me. But, I mean, if I hadn't known better, I would have stayed there a few more days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you never know. We seen crocs in that river that day. Yeah. So very frightening. Ve pay attention. Like when you're going up there, be croc wary because they uh, will get you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, there we go. I hope you uh, enjoyed the anglers. Make sure you uh, tell your mates about it. Make sure you follow us on all the social media as well. Tune in next time. That's it. Have a good one on the water. Over.